On today's episode, we circle back and talk about paying off your mortgage early versus investing in the difference, incorporating listener feedback and corrections. Then we tackle a case study on how a young couple might leverage real estate and in particular house hacking to massively propel them to financial independence. Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. guys a lot to talk about today we're going to try and accomplish a couple things one go back to the conversation about pay off your mortgage or invest and then obviously bring in some voicemails some feedback from the community and we have a ton of takeaways from our episode with uh, Joel from How to Money. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I am doing quite well. And yeah, I'm excited to dive into that issue with how to pay off your mortgage. There's always more nuance. I think that's something that is so beautiful about the financial independence community is there's always additional detail, right? We can dive into this and talk about it at a real high level. And then we can follow up. And that's the beauty of having a podcast twice a week. So yeah, it should be fun. But what's going on in your world? Well, I'd say for me, I actually want to give a shout out to my uh, Android phone. And and I guess to back up, I should say that, you know, with, with Google and Android, there's always, and just the internet, there's, there's a love-hate relationship between convenience and privacy. <laughs> I, I remember watching uh, that movie with Will Smith back in the day, Enemy of the State. Mm. If you were to go back and watch it now, you'd say, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when they just watched me from cameras on uh, <laughs> at the occasional traffic light. I remember that. But having said that, Phones, cell phones are an incredible thing. They're an incredible superpower that you have just in your pocket, the ability to find out an answer to any question. The downside is that increasingly with my phone, my phone has just gotten weighed down by spam phone calls. Usually it's a helpful person calling to let me know that my social security number has been flagged. <laughs> oh, that's very nice of them. <laughs> and they that I need to that I need to answer this call in, in order to get it unflagged, and and they will help me through the process. <laughs> it's been kind of overwhelming between that and the elections and polls and all that other stuff. It's just like I don't answer the phone unless the person leaves a voicemail and I know who they are. It's just crazy. But I turn on my phone like probably a week or two ago, and I noticed that there's a new service that Google is offering, and it's just there. Uh, called Google Screening Service. Now, this is the most amazing thing ever. You know how when you get a call and it's always like an eight-second voicemail and it's usually a Nigerian prince trying to give you some money or whatever. Well, in this case now, what Google will do when you see the call coming through, it'll allow you to actually press an option, screen call. When it does that, usually the automated person that is calling you will now get a automated reply saying, hi, this person uses Google Call Screening Service. Please state your name and why it is that you're calling and then you will see their transcribed response showing up on your screen. And then you can choose to report as spam, answer the call or block. So this is an app that you downloaded or is it just native on the phone? Built in, native on the phone. Basically looks like a version of Google's assistant. It is fantastic. And I can't tell you how many robocalls have automatically transcribed their options and how many just in-person solicitors have just hung up immediately as soon as they you, you hear like heavy breathing on the other <laughs> side of the phone and then just hang up. <laughs> is that transcribed heavy breathing? <laughs> yes, it's exactly That'd what comes nice. through. <laughs> but man, this is like, I've this has allowed me to reclaim something that increasingly, I was like, why is there even a cell phone number attached? This is actually the shocking part. I don't even think I really have my cell phone to take calls at this point anymore. That's really not the main purpose of the phone, which is kind of sad and actually now makes me question why I even have this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I saw a meme on Facebook, actually. My wife tagged me in it and it was a hundred different ways to get in touch with me. And basically after smoke signal at 99 <laughs> was call me. So <laughs> yes. yeah, I don't think too many calls are taking place at this point. And there's actually another software on, at least on my Android phone, that just gave me a little pop-up that said suspected spam caller and you can click block. 
Oh, I feel like I'm doing my part to society when I press that yeah, button, really. right? I am good. contributing to the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I've got a little uh, frugal win of the week here. I know I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I had my uh, solar panels installed. So they are up and running. I'm still just waiting on my meter from my local power company, but uh, it's up and running. But what I did was I actually, I was able to pay for these solar panels with a credit card. With no fee. Well, what card did you use? So, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I had just recently opened the uh, Barclay card Arrival Plus. Nice. And yeah, I mean, obviously it goes without saying I hit my minimum spending requirement in one fell swoop. So now I have, I basically got $1,000 of free travel just from paying for my solar panels with that one credit card and no fee. So that was a nice, nice little win. Ed will be proud of you over there. I'm sure he's talked about the Barclay. I know he's talked about the Barclay card in his travel course that he set up, chooseify.com slash travel. And the Barclays has been a good one. I believe they actually just recently discontinued. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. This is not exactly an actionable tip since I literally applied for it the last day that it existed. But But, but there is a a consolation prize. Yeah, there is. The Capital One Venture card, which we love, that is a substantially similar card. It's basically you pay for travel with your credit card and you're able to wipe off the expense afterwards with your Capital One miles. So it's super easy to use and yeah, very, very similar to the Arrival Plus. So Brad, it's actually funny now as a small business owner, I now think of my fiscal year in terms of quarters, (laughs) which is something that as an employee, I I just simply never did. And um, with quarter two coming together, I was thinking maybe you could take a couple minutes and share with the audience kind of the action steps that you took over the last week or so to prepare for quarter three. Yeah, it is funny to think about life in terms of quarters, but I guess as a small business owner, you need to make estimated tax payments. So that's something that has been on our minds, certainly. It should be pretty much for anyone out there who owns a small business, you need to withhold, right? As opposed to getting a normal paycheck where you have withholding for the federal and the state, you actually have to physically send that money in. So I know I've signed up for a service through the federal government. It's called EFTPS. I believe it's at EFTPS.gov. And that's just the automated federal estimated payments. So you don't have to actually send in a check and a coupon. That's just like a nice little shortcut to that. I would definitely do that well in advance of the estimated payment date, just because it, it takes a couple of days to set up. You get a pin in the mail. So I would give yourself a couple of weeks. So maybe for Q3, think about that. But yeah, that's a nice, easy way to set up estimated payments. I know I, I was able to set up electronic payments for Virginia as well. So I suspect, depending on where you live, that there's a pretty high likelihood you can send in electronic payments as well. And I guess just personally, I don't know, Jonathan, do you keep a moment in time net worth or profit and loss statement or anything like that? Do you ever save that to track it? Or is it just, hey, this is what's going on in my life today? Well, I do. Uh, I have been asking you for yours for forever. (laughs) Thanks for bringing up a sore subject. But uh, no, once a year, I track kind of where my net worth was at that particular point in time. I don't do it really more frequently than that, other than on personal capital, you know, it will give you any particular point in time that you right. ask for right. due to, fl- I mean, with fluctuations in the market actually built in, but that's something that I can look back historically. And I've been using personal capital for the past five or five or six years. And actually, honestly, let's see here, probably since 2012. So I have a lot of data right. in personal capital at this point. Uh, but what, what about you? Yeah. So uh, the aforementioned Excel sheet, which I, that is something I promised to the Choose of audience a while ago and have failed miserably as Jonathan is not happy with me. But yeah, we had Jeff from the, our audience kind of help me mock it up and we're just, we're trying to get it to a point where it's uh, suitable for release and it's maybe my kind of perfectionism and that's what's holding me back here. He won't even share it with me. <laughs> I he will not literally share literally hasn't given it to me. But no, <laughs> like, it's what, also- you, what is this going to look like, dude? I've, I've seen your Excel sheets. They just look ragged around <laughs> the edges. Where do you think, what is perfection going to actually yeah. look like? No, no, no. <laughs> just usable, basically. I think that's, that's the real key. I, I have it set up for myself. But most importantly, I keep track of my net worth on a quarterly basis. June 30th, basically the next morning, July 1st, I went through all my accounts, just logged everything that I have. I went into Vanguard and Fidelity and Fundrise and all these other places where I have some some holdings and just kind of logged what I actually own. So I just keep this point in time net worth. And it's actually really cool to look back. I mean, obviously you have it in personal capital, but I'm able to, at a glance, see my quarterly net worth for basically the last 10 years. And it's just, it's, it's kind of neat. I know Paula Pan has described this before 
at Afford Anything where it's just, there's something more tangible about having it in your own Excel sheet. I love personal capital, I really do. But just typing the numbers in myself, like yeah. there's just something more real about it. So yeah, I mean, it, it's- So you're robbing our community and your <laughs> co-host of the realness. Yes, yes, Like yes. we're just taking the passive approach. You're robbing us of the yes, realness. Yes. I, You have to commit to me this week that you will share a copy of it. And then I will make the decision on whether or not it's perfect enough to send out to the community. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. But even more than that, what I was thinking, Brad, one of the points that is made, I've heard it, and it's kind of a meme, but I don't think it's that far off, is that the first 100000 is the hardest. Now, you could say the first $100, the first $1,000 is the hardest. But I think like when you get to $100,000, when you hit that mark, suddenly you really start to notice the power of compounding. I mean, you really start to see the benefits and their numbers that are impressive. And, th- and that could take a long time to get there. Um, and it's not to say you're not making progress ahead of that, but just from the sake of being able to see your money actually earning for you, man, hitting that 100K is pretty amazing. And I'm curious, when you look back at your net worth statements and you look back at when you hit that first 100K, one of those milestones of five that we talked about in episode 32 of our podcast, does your net worth, does it look linear or does it look exponential like we would imagine when we see a compounding sheet? And I'm just curious, thinking about the effort that went into that first 100K versus reaching financial independence. Wow. Yeah, that is a really good question. So I'm actually pulling it up right now as we speak. It doesn't make for great audio here, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess in my case, I got married at 25 and my wife and I had both been saving diligently by kind of doing what our Phi tenant, living at home and just saving a boatload of money. For us, I mean, we were able to get to that combined 100,000, I think well before we were 25 each. So this is the difference. When my wife married me at the age of 28, 28 years old is when I got married. She married into negative six figures. (laughs) (laughs) A little compare and contrast there. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas Laura had been living at home for three plus years, five, maybe five years at that point, just saving boatloads of money. I'm well aware of how lucky I am. But the real question is, is it linear or is it exponential? Yeah, that's the question. For me, unquestionably, we've hit this hockey stick point where, you know, obviously the stock market has been doing extraordinarily well the last decade. And by just putting in money regularly, every single month, month after month, year after year, you see it compound. And I mean, I'm literally looking at the sheet from 2013 through 2019, and it's astonishing. I have my quarterly change in net worth. I have my yearly I'm change in net worth. Like, yeah. <laughs> so what is it? Resist, resist. Yeah. <laughs> Privacy breach. <laughs> but no, it, it really is amazing. And I mean, I think it speaks to the power of FI. It speaks to the power of having a significant savings rate over an intermediate term. That's a term that I, I love to use. Like this is not short term. This is not get rich quickly. It's get rich over an intermediate time, right, right? right? Eight to 15, maybe 20 years. Like that goes by in a blink. It really does. And for most people, it goes by in a blink and they have nothing to show for it. Mm. Whereas if you're saving 50% of your income for eight, 15, 20 years, you're gonna wake up and you're gonna have millions of dollars. It's almost inevitable. And, and I think what you're describing is is the wealth snowball, right? I mean, and this is kind of what I was alluding to as well. And it gets us into the episode with this past week with Joel. Joel pulled this off on a low income. I mean, I, I think most people would say $20,000 a year, 20,000 in that 20 to $30,000 range. While certainly many people in our audience have an income in that range, it is on the lower end. And it's not to say you can't reach financial independence. And it's not to say you shouldn't even try. Of course, of course not. But it is to say that it is important as part of the conversation to find people who have done it and the tactics won't look exactly the same. It's not going to be, hey, sell the third car. Hey, you know, like that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. Joel had to use the the tactics that Joel used are available to anybody. And, and what were they? Well, first, you got to hustle. You got to you got to grind. You got to figure out a way to create some space. And it, I, we, we touched on this, but if you look at really what Joel did, that key inflection point, it was real estate. And most importantly, it was that first deal. And he saved up a big down payment. I mean, you can get into a home with 0% down if you're a first time home buyer. You can get into a home with 3.5% down. I mean, there, you can get into a home very low, but what he did partially due to seeing his family have a bankruptcy in his adolescence 
he felt compelled to, I need to be do better with my money. And how do I do that? I need to save up a strong down payment. For him, that first home, he put 20, 20% down. Maybe it was 25% down on that first home at 89,000. And he saved up that money while making as an employee, 20, $25,000 a year. That is super motivating for me, right? Because from there, you can see how it all just gets easier. Yeah, I totally agree. And as he said, his parents filed for bankruptcy when he was 12 years old, and that quote changed everything for him. It was one of those inflection points. Obviously, does he wish that that didn't happen? I mean, I'm sure. But was that a formative moment for him that has made his subsequent life dramatically better? Yeah, I mean, it it unquestionably has. And, and I mean, sometimes it takes that external force to be this awakening. And he was just a hustler. I mean, this is a guy who was working for Clark Howard from the outside. People would say, oh, that's an amazing job. Like he's learned so much. But like you said, he was making in the 20s. What did he do? He hustled. I mean, he said he found a $15 per hour job pressure washing houses that he did before he went to work. He did that in service of a goal. That's the beautiful part about this. He had a plan in order to reach that goal and to succeed with that plan. He needed to hustle. I mean, that's not easy for people, right? Like he's commuting, he's working full time. I mean, that's not an easy job, obviously, but what is he doing? He's getting up early and pressure washing houses for $15 an hour. And where did that get him? That got him that 25% or 20% down payment. And it got him his first rental property. And now he has five doors and he's on a path to five. To me, that is just such a hopeful, hopeful story. Completely agree with you, Brad. And we can use Joel as an example, but specifically focus on tackling financial independence on a low income and why Joel's strategy is so important. There's three expenses that are very hard to avoid. Housing, transportation, food. That is the core. Is it Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. <laughs> Took a stab. For survival, you need certain things and you work your way up and then you have like discretionary spending, right? If you have someone on a very, on a very high income that's just paycheck to paycheck, there's a lot of fluff in there, right? A lot of fluff. And so when you talk to that person, you're like, look, focus on what you value and cut ruthlessly the rest. And then there's the space. And, and many times that's enough to give someone such, a motiv such motivation that it propels them to the finish line. Well, when you're working with someone that makes $20,000 a year, like, well, there is no discretionary spending. I, I can't frugalize anymore. And that is one perspective, but I don't think it's absolutely true in every case. There are people that look at the problem differently that have it tougher than you have it. And I'm saying you <laughs> at large and have figured out a way to create that space, but you got to be a little bit more creative. And so in Joel's case, let's just say we have someone that is, that is making $25,000 a year and their dream is just to get to that first home and that first car. That's what they're going for, right? Cause that, cause that's making it. And they get too big of a house, they get too big of a car. Those two choices basically eat up any bandwidth they would have had. But then when you look at Joel and you look at how he created that space, first, he absolutely did not want to have car payments. That he needed a car, he paid for a car cash. So you may you may think that you need a brand new car. Joel said, 10-year-old cars, they work great. There's a ton of them out there. As we know, I'm gonna save up, find a reliable one that works. We know what manufacturers tend to last longer. Pick a 10-year-old car that will drive forever. I saw this meme about uh, Toyota Camrys. And, and, and in the meme, uh, the, the Camry is being recalled by Toyota. 1993 Camrys are being recalled by Toyota because there's no reason that you should still be driving them at this point. You should have bought another car. <laughs> Please buy a new one. <laughs> Why are you still driving this? I mean, there's probably some validity to that. In his case, he, he bought a car cash that was 10 years old that would drive forever. And then he looked for a way to tackle this other line item. And while most people would just say, I need this amazing family home that has all the trimmings, he said, yes, I need to be able to purchase a home that creates a safe environment for my family. But even more than that, this is important for us. I need to figure out a way to turn this into an asset that can actually increase that well snowball, increase that bandwidth. And so unlike many of us that just went and looked for just a home, he looked at, I need a home plus an investment property. That's a different pivot. And when you're willing to do that, that one decision, if you do the research, you do it right. In the United States, there are tons of strategies that are in place to actually incentivize that and give you lots of room to win where other people just aren't even considering it. Like for instance, being able to get a home with a low down payment. Like for instance, being able to reap capital gains in a house that you live in up to what, $150,000? Yeah. yeah, it's 250,000 I think for single, 500,000 for a married couple. 
So if you were to take advantage of this and incorporate it all together, I think there's actually an acronym, which I've already decided I'm not even going to try, but it's called the Burr method. If you put your due diligence in, if you do your research, this will transform the trajectory of your financial life, regardless of what your income looks like. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, it's, it's a couple things, right? It's finding out that this exists. It's similar to FI understanding that this concept exists, this burr, as you said, I, I just quickly uh, Googled this. Was I right? There, yeah, so it's this thing, right? <laughs> a B followed by four R's. So buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Nice. And yeah, that's at Bigger Pockets. I know they talk about that quite, quite often. We can link to that in the show notes, but it's that and it's unconventional choices. That's what Joel did here. He has a family, he has kids, and he lives in essentially a portion of a house, a two bedroom, one bath portion of a house but he's doing it in service of this larger plan that I talked about before. Is that the easy choice? No, yeah. it's not. But does it make for an easier life when you make those hard choices? Yes, it unquestionably does. So for me, this, this makes perfect sense if you know about it. Again, it's similar to Phi. Once you're presented with this idea, it's just right there in front of you. And, and this is what happened with Joel. He, even though he was making $23,000 or whatever it was, he understood, probably he was at bigger pockets and, and learned about these strategies, learned that, okay, by owner occupying this, I can get a lower down payment and a lower mortgage rate. What's the obvious thing to do? It's to live in this. It's to find something that I know about, right? As he put, put his money in investments he could understand. And for him, real estate was that case. He learned about this. He fixed these things up. He learned about these houses so that when he moved on to the next one, and that was always the plan, right? Save up for that next one. And when he moved on, he knew that house. He knew that what was ultimately then a rental property, even though it was, it was just his house, but now it's a rental property. He knew the ins and outs of it so he could fix it. That to me, it's really, really smart. If you're willing to make those unconventional choices, you can end up like Joel with five different rental properties over a very short period of time. Joel's a young guy. He has a family, he had this lower income, but yet he was able to succeed just by having this plan that he ruthlessly implemented, even though it wasn't easy and it wasn't conventional. And I was just playing this out, like what would this actually look like practically with numbers, like for someone like Joel to, to tackle this project again and maybe get a duplex or a triplex with the goal being, I need to find a way to live for free for my family to live for free. And so maybe they're trying to find a duplex or a triplex. They find a property that... Uh, is selling for 250000 I feel like he, he bought this first single family home for 89000 I feel like there probably are situations where you can find a duplex or a try for roughly that amount. It seems reasonable, maybe not in every area of the country. In this case, as a, as a home buyer, he's going to put 3.5% down, which there's several types of loans that are available for first-time home buyers that you would be able to get that sort of down payment. That's $8,750. He talks to his family, his wife, and, and he says, you know what, instead of us just purchasing a single family home, I want to live in this multiplex or I want to live, I want to have roommates essentially. And she's, and, and I'm making all of this up. We're using Joel just, but, but I'm just playing out this conversation and they're like, well, 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 no, why, why would we do that? But they have this conversation about what they value and they, they realize that what they really value would be for Joel's wife to actually stay home, right? To stay home. That is something that for them, that's something that they felt was important that they wanted to do. And based on this goal that they now had together because of these conversations, they're able to move forward to this because this is part of their plan. So at the age of 25, this hypothetical couple that's had this incredibly intelligent conversation <laughs> puts 88,000. We know the husband's name is Joel, hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> so they put $8,750 down on this multi-unit. They're in the home. And basically, I don't know if this, this, this hypothetical situation, I don't know if it generates extra money for them, but they do at least live for free and they're able to save a thousand dollars a month that otherwise they would be spending. And they save that thousand dollars a month from the age of 25 to 30. So this one decision really only lasts them from the age of 25 to 30 around the same time that I was getting back to broke, right? They have just made this one choice and they invested that savings into low cost broad-based index funds, making average market returns. We'll assume 8%. That one decision for them is worth $76,000. If that grows over that five-year period of time, that one decision is worth $76,000. If you tie that with maybe just a few other small strategies, I mean, they're well on their way to getting that first 100K. This is doable. The numbers work. 
but you need to see someone else do it. And I appreciate Joel highlighting this. It's just a matter of looking at the problem a little bit differently, which is I think why we feel so compelled to say that financial independence and the pursuit of financial independence is for everyone. It's not for high income earners, it's for everyone. And we acknowledge simultaneously that the path is going to look different, but it's still valuable, it's still worth pursuing. And I think the best thing that we can do is continue to find people like Joel who have done this and have leveraged different strategies because unless we hear about it, they're not on our radar. I don't have original thoughts. You know, I don't think you have original thoughts, but what we hope to do is capture stories and then put them out there to our audience so you can benefit from them. And Brad, if you tie this hypothetical Joel, which is implementing the Burr method to a real Joel who, who followed a, a, a much more uh, mainstream approach to this, uh, I think what they, these two individuals have in common is that by the age of 30 years old, while they may not be financially independent, they are certainly prepared. Yeah. And preparedness. I mean, what a crucial, crucial concept. Joel had this amazing quote, you can't predict you're going to lose your job, but you can prepare for it. And I think upon further review of my own life, that's kind of how I approached my entire adult life, actually. I really have thought about this. When Laura and I got married, we basically said, how can we do this, this being life? How can we do this and succeed if we only had one income? And I think that was something we planned for from the very first. And for us, that was, okay, so that means you have to have at least a 50% savings rate because at any given moment, and I think I, I saw this and it was my own formative years where I got out of undergrad and I went to work for, at the time, what was the best accounting firm in the entire world. It was Arthur Anderson. Literally nine months later, that firm did not exist because of the Enron scandal, which now at this point is ancient history. But, but I mean, that was real. I saw an entire accounting firm, tens of thousands of people who had worked their entire life and partners who had all of their, their finances, their life finances tied up in this company. It didn't exist. And I realized that at any given moment, you could lose your job because of some outside force like that. You could get fired on a whim. So you couldn't leave your fate up to someone else. And to me, that was that inward thinking that really changed my entire trajectory of life. And ultimately, it comes down to preparedness. You have to be prepared that even if you're the best worker in your entire department, you could lose your job tomorrow. And I don't mean that to be negative. I'm not, this is a very, very positive message. It's about being prepared and it's about controlling your own future, mm. right? And I think for me, Saving money does that. It has always provided me with this level of comfort and preparedness that I think is irreplaceable. And, and Brad, I think what you're saying is it's not pessimism, it's realism. It's, it's basing your life with a firm grasp on reality and what the future may hold and making sure that the steps that you plan for yourself and for your family can buffer the storms of life. Yeah. That's what we're doing. And again, I completely agree with you. This is not from a negative place. But wow, the confidence that you can go through life when you say that if something happens to my job and something probably will happen to my job at some point, right? I mean, industries change, sectors change, managers change, something will change and you won't always like it. And if you don't like it or if it moves to toxic or if it moves to Armageddon, you're ready. You can move on and you can move to greener pastures because you have the space in your life to be ready for that. I think that's what we're just, if you take steps now to prepare yourself, when change happens, you're going to thrive. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a few minutes and let's bring in some community feedback. And what I thought we could do in particular in episode 133R, we were talking about, should I pay off my mortgage or invest? And we just kind of ran this case study comparing somebody that decides to pay off their mortgage early versus somebody that takes that same amount of money that they would be putting towards their mortgage and put it in a low-cost broad-based index fund for a similar duration of time, what the difference would be thinking about it as a horse race. And unsurprisingly in this horse race, the, the index funds won and we highlighted how much that difference would be and how much of your life you would get back. It was a reasonable analogy, but obviously, it well, maybe not obviously, not obviously to us or else we would have corrected on the spot. <laughs> to our audience, they, they made note that it was not very comprehensive and there were certainly details uh, that should have been mentioned in that conversation that weren't. Yeah, the first comment I'm seeing here is from Robin. And she said, you didn't factor in capital gains due when using the proceeds from VTSAX to pay off the mortgage. It gets even more complicated when you factor in the tax deduction 
for mortgage interests. And yeah, Jonathan, these were two items that I saw jump out a bunch of times here in, in the comments on the website. Yeah. What's the problem here, Brad? You're supposed to be the guy that catches yeah, this stuff. Yeah. I'm the one that misses it. No. <laughs> but no, this is a great point. Uh, there were a couple of things that came to mind. And actually, right after we released this episode, I saw two voicemails coming from Sean, uh, the tax guy. <laughs> and immediately I knew, oh, he listened to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we did something wrong. <laughs> we did something wrong. <laughs> so anyways, I'm going to play those voicemails after after I give my feedback on this and we'll capture a more comprehensive response. But uh, what came to my mind is I'm going to tackle the mortgage interest deduction first. The standard deduction now for individuals going to 2019 is $24,000. So... The primary way that people get to the standard deduction is their interest in their mortgage combined with their state and property taxes. And then on top of that, I guess, any charitable donations and giving, that's kind of how it comes together. If you have a $200,000 mortgage, it will help, but it's not going to get you very, what I'm trying to say is the vast majority of people these days in the middle class are not reaching the standard deduction and they are just taking the standard deduction. In fact, we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode, how to get around that and actually get it. But the vast majority of people are not hitting that standard deduction. So I think at least, Robin, these are fantastic points. I le- at least in the case that we mentioned here, I think it's safe to say that the, the mortgage interest isn't really a player. I do think capital gains could be a player, but it will then again come down to situational and and, and what your assets are. And again, we, we should have covered it, but I think since we erred on the side of a 6% return versus maybe something more aggressive, I think probably uh, it would the numbers were relatively realistic as they were. Brad, I think this would be a wonderful opportunity. Could you maybe take a couple minutes and you know share with me and with our audience kind of how the capital gains tax works and how it might apply to this situation at a macro level? Yeah. So this to me was clearly the the point that we missed dramatically. And basically, when you invest in index funds or securities or stocks, whatever it may be, when you sell those and there's a unrealized gain, right? Let's say you bought it, that share of stock or index fund for $100 and you sell it for $200 down the road, there's a $100 gain built in there. That's a capital gain and it's taxed at the capital gains rates. Now, it depends if you've owned this for less than a year or more than a year, okay? Less than a year is a short-term capital gain and that's taxed at ordinary income tax rates. But there is preferential tax treatment if you've owned that for more than one year, because then it becomes long-term. And we'll put a article about capital gains tax rates in the show notes here. Unquestionably, that has to be factored in. But yeah, certainly thank you to everybody who called us on this. So uh, Big Earn from Early Retirement Now weighed in and said, rule of thumb, if the investment return is higher than the mortgage rate, then it looks better to invest. Of course, there are some caveats. Equity returns are volatile, tax implications, capital gains, as mentioned above, but also dividend income to be taxed along the way. Back in the old days, there was also the tax deductibility of mortgage interest, but that has effectively gone away from most taxpayers. And he says to Ariel, kudos to you for using a modest 6% investment return. I've seen some other blogs where they use 9% plus, and then it's pretty much a no-brainer to invest. 6% is a reasonable expected return estimate, even with today's lofty equity valuation. So there are tons of comments on this article, and we really appreciate you guys weighing in. That feedback is super valuable, both for us and also the people that will be reading this after we finish this episode. Really, really fantastic. One thing I wanted to mention that was highlighted by BC, he says, that's a calculus I've struggled with myself, but I admit the idea of putting money into investments and paying off the end, thereby gaining the investment returns that eventually are used to pay off the mortgage anyway hadn't occurred to me, but I have a 15-year mortgage and I'm paying just enough extra that it should be paid off or pretty close by the time I fire. And if not, I can use some of those investment returns to pay off the rest before I fire anyway. So kind of like a hybrid approach, interesting food for thought. I think that is the key to this entire case. The question is not whether or not you should pay off your mortgage early or you spend that extra money, right? It's which investment vehicle do you actually want to put that money in? And I think that's what makes it so compelling. One of the cases, the points that have been made over the show is that when you actually are early retired, when you've left your job and you're drawing down on your income, it probably is a good idea not to have a mortgage at that particular point in time. And if you think about having a paid off mortgage as kind of almost like an alternative to having more bonds in your portfolio, that's going to smooth the ride. That's a fixed expense that's now gone. It's no longer going to be tied to market volatility. It makes sense. But in the intervening years, when you're preparing for this point in time, when you're accumulating wealth, 
What is the fastest way to accumulate that wealth? I think that's why this discussion is so fascinating and an idea of a hybrid really appeals to me as well. All right, well, let me go ahead and pull up this voicemail that I got from Sean. Hi, Brad and Jonathan. This is Sean Mullaney calling to follow up on Ariel's conversation last week regarding paying off a mortgage versus investing in growing assets and then later on paying off the mortgage with an appreciated account balance. A couple of thoughts on that. First, from a tax perspective, Ariel's plan has her growing her VTSAX investment for 15 years and then selling that investment to pay off the mortgage. The good news for Ariel in that scenario is that most of the gain, assuming there is a gain, would be long-term capital gain in that case. There'd be a small piece of it that would be attributable to assets acquired within the past year. That would be short-term capital gain, ordinary income, but the vast majority would be long-term capital gain, which as you probably know, is very much tax advantaged under the federal income tax rules. Under today's rules, if Ariel and her husband have gross income under $100,000, her long-term capital gains tax rate for federal purposes is zero. Now, we don't know what the rules will be 15 years from now, but at least under today's rules, it's very possible she'd have a very good federal tax result. One additional comment there, though, is she should consider state income taxes. If you live in a high tax state such as California, your marginal tax rate on a long-term capital gain could be 9.3%, could be 13.3%. So that is very much a consideration. Another quick consideration is the mortgage interest deduction. And it's going to turn out that for the most part, most Americans these days are not going to claim the home mortgage interest deduction. The standard deduction was significantly increased a year and a half ago as part of the 2017 reform bill. So these days, most of our listeners are not going to be able to deduct home mortgage interest. So that would be a factor weighing in for retiring the debt sooner rather than later. Now I want to talk about the trade-off that Ariel is facing. To my mind, it's a trade-off between a guaranteed return and a speculative return. What Ariel could do, and you guys talked about this, is she could take her excess cash flow, her $500 a month, and just prepay the mortgage. And what that would do is that would lock in a guaranteed rate of return on the $500 every month. And that rate of return is simply the mortgage interest rate. It's a great way of investing money at a guaranteed rate of return. Now, what Ariel's doing instead is a bit of a hybrid approach. She's saying for the next 15 years or so, she's going to invest that money, that $500 a week or a month, sorry, into VTSAX. And she thinks she'll get a speculative return of 6% or more. She could do a third option, which is just to let it ride, right? She's chosen a hybrid approach where for the first 15 years, she's going to go for a speculative 6% or more rate of return. And then at 15 years or so, once she's got enough money built up, she's going to flip the switch and pay off the remaining mortgage interest, at which point she'll be getting a guaranteed smaller rate of return, namely the rate of interest on her mortgage. Here's where the spreadsheets don't answer our question. And the question really is, what do you prefer? Do you prefer a guaranteed rate of return or a speculative rate of return, right? From a numerical perspective, sure, the speculative expected rate of return is going to be higher, but it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. And the question becomes is just how valuable to you is that guarantee? A spreadsheet can't answer that question. One last thought though. I think how valuable that guarantee is depends on your current circumstances. So say you're 25 years old, you're new to saving and investing. You've built up a little bit of a nest egg, but not much. At that point, you need speculation. You need growth. So you probably, all things, other things being equal, want to go for the speculative return. But let's say you're not 25, you're 55, and you've saved in excess of your FI number. So you have enough now to retire. At that point, to my mind, a guaranteed return is so much better than a speculative return. You need guarantees at that point. Thanks for listening. 
Hope this helps. Have a great week, Brad and Jonathan. As usual, Sean, thanks so much for weighing in. A lot of good points there. One, appreciate you tackling in. So like Brad, when you were mentioning the capital gains rates for a single person, obviously it's much more generous for a married filing joint, which is what Sean was referencing. And the other thing I wanted to make note of, I've often heard in the background this comment, and I think it comes from kind of the Dave Ramsey school of thought that pay off your mortgage. If you end up deciding you want your mortgage back, you can always take out another one. (laughs) And then that's kind of like a way of looking at it and seeing whether or not you really want the mortgage or not. And to me, it, that that's decent advice, but it isn't always, you know, super comprehensive. Cause I think some people take that and say, well, no one would ever want a mortgage, but I think Sean's point encapsulate both ends of that. Well, it does depend on your age because personally at a younger age, if I have a choice between locking in a 4% return or having the opportunity to make six or 8% over a long period of time, we can refer back to the Paul Merriman episode. One percentage point is, can be life-changing. Two percentage points is absolutely life-changing. And if you can get those 2%, which I believe would be relatively doable over an extended timeline, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, the difference in $200,000 locked in at 4% versus $200,000 where you end up making 6 or 8%, those go in two different directions. And so I think for a younger individual, and this is what Sean was getting at, for a younger individual with a longer time horizon, at least for me, I, I, I see the appeal. I see the appeal in, quote unquote, the speculative investment. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you're talking about the power of compounding. And over a 20-year period two extra percentage points on your annual return is going to make an enormous difference. Well, they both will be going in the same direction, right? One is going to hit a hockey stick and the other isn't. And it depends, like Sean said, it depends on your time horizon. It depends on what your goals are and where you are in your life. So, I mean, I think that is a really very, very valid point. And also what's your degree of risk tolerance? Guaranteed versus speculative. I think that's a really good way to frame this. So yeah. Huge thanks to Sean for calling this in. And you're allowed to switch, right? You're allowed to you're allowed to go from in your 20s, be much more open to long-term investments versus as you approach maybe drawing down in your assets, very much wanting to lock in what you have and make sure that that volatility is diminished. You're allowed to change your perspective as you go. Yeah, absolutely love the conversation. Hope that we can continue it as we get more case studies down the road. All right, Brad, this is actually tied to your solar panel story. Uh, we actually got a voicemail from Glenn. He's created a resource for the community, and I'm going to go and play this voicemail now. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. Brad, Jonathan, I just heard your Friday podcast, and I was very excited the, uh, about your solar news. I installed mine. Uh, I, I think I contracted for mine about the same time you were talking about yours. Mine went up very quickly. I got very lucky. I have documented the whole thing in a series of blog entries that I put in the local Choose a Five Greater Baltimore Area group. I'm going to send a link in the admin group. And if you guys like it, let me know. And if you want me to talk about it more, I would love to. I'm very excited about it. I'm a bit nerdy about it, obsessed, some people say, and uh, would, would enjoy sharing uh, our experience with, with going solar and how it helps us in our FI journey. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah, and Jonathan, that resource that Glenn put together, we are going to put that in our weekly newsletter. And you can access that by signing up at chooseavi.com slash subscribe or just at the top of the main homepage. It's pretty, pretty easy to get on our list. That should be a very valuable resource. And another thing Glenn mentioned was the Chooseify local Baltimore group. I think the Chooseify local groups are really the lifeblood of what we have going on here with our entire community. We have 200 plus of these spread throughout the world. Pretty much every major city that I can think of, certainly in the US and I think, what is it, 20 plus countries? You can sign up for those for your local group at chooseify.com slash local. And we do have some news. It looks like San Diego is having a meeting on July 27th. They're talking about estate planning and they're also having an encore presentation of Playing With Fire, which is really cool. So we had the big premiere in June and it looks like they're gonna have another one in August. Northwest Indiana is having their first meetup on July 22nd. The Netherlands group, Jonathan, has grown to over 80 members. What a cool thing. Choose if I Netherlands has 80 members. Yes, they in that group, they obviously use their own native language. So I assume they're talking about financial independence. Every once in a while, I'll do Google Translate. Oh, that's awesome. I can use that tactic here. <laughs> but certainly, if you're listening to us from, that, from, from over there, that's amazing. And we're so excited that you're getting value from the show and so excited to see this concept really spreading around the world. Yeah, it's really neat. And yeah, here in America, we've got Colorado Springs, just had a happy hour, Clarksville, Tennessee, and Nashville 
have meetings on July 13th, and Huntsville, Alabama has a meeting planned for July 14th. And back here in our humble Richmond, Virginia, we have our own exclusive screening of Playing With Fire. I know Scott is going to be joining us. This is on July 19th, and I think that close to 300 people have already said that they are going to be coming to this screening. So this is really turning into an event. If you happen to be listening in the local Richmond or surrounding six hour area, <laughs> just a slight little drive, feel free to drive and join us. We would love to see you there and don't limit yourself to the six hour radius. If you're listening from anywhere in the world and you can uh, make it by on July 19th, we would love for you to be there. We think this is going to be a fun event. We've been given uh, some latitude by the theater that we rented for the evening, the bird theater. It's a very elegant historic theater here in the heart of Richmond, Virginia to do a introduction to financial independence uh, before the movie, probably a 20 or 30 minute introduction followed by the movie and then a Q&A at the end. What I would say to our audience is if you have already bought a ticket for yourself, if you really want to spread the fire, if you want to spread this information, consider bringing one friend, consider bringing one person in your social network that you've wanted to start this type of conversation with. I think this could be an incredible opportunity for us to really get this concept, this idea in front of people that maybe think they want to do better with their money. No, really, they have this nagging feeling that there's something that they don't know that they should be doing, but they don't know where to start. And it seems a little bit intimidating. This is going to be the easiest way that we have ever had to start a conversation and it will transform your life. It really will. It'll transform your friend's life. This is the biggest favor that you could do for them is to just bring them and give them access to this screening and to this idea. And honestly, that's what the documentary for us is doing at a macro level as well. It's giving us the opportunity to start a conversation. A year from now, two years from now, when people watch this, they're going to come back to you and say, you were talking about this stuff before, and now I get it. Can we have this conversation? Can we talk about this some more? Can you tell me where I should start? That's what this documentary provides for us. Yeah, and it's cool to see it spread just in my own little social circles. Laura actually posted on her Facebook page about this Playing With Fire event here in Richmond. And one of our neighbors, who's actually, their kids are at our bus stop, uh, their son was in Molly's first grade class this year, she mentioned that she is now in the Chooseify local Richmond group, and her dad actually has been listening to the podcast for over six months and told her about it, and she is literally at our bus stop. Like, what a crazy small world thing, but... You, sh you spread this, you spread the fire, and then your entire social circle can change ever so subtly. Think about the power if you have a group of friends who are following the five path. I mean, to me, that is just a really fantastic goal. So if you're looking for tickets, chooseofi.com slash Richmond will send you over to the Eventbrite page. So chooseofi.com slash Richmond, and the event is July 19th. All right, my friends. Well, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. There's three books that we offer. The first book is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Corcuccio's book, Design Your Future. And then right now, we're also offering the book Quit Like a Millionaire by Christy Shin and Bryce Leung. We just interviewed them in episode 134R. I think if you haven't listened to that yet, you should definitely check it out. You're going to get a lot of value from it. But this book is fantastic. And yeah, if you want to leave a review, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes. Follow the instructions there. Leave us a short written review on either iTunes or Stitcher. And then send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get. And we announce a winner on the Friday Roundup. And Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have two winners today. And our first winner is Michelle. And she called this our favorite podcast. I love spending time with Brad and Jonathan each week. I'm never bored and always inspired by something on each and every episode. My husband and I have found direction for our financial future because of this podcast and the FIRE movement. We are putting in our time and sacrifices now so we can free up our time and energy in the future. We are one year down and four to go until we reach FI. Oh, and we are doing this while raising three kids. Thanks for the inspiration. That's amazing. Congratulations to you and your family. All right. And Jonathan, the second winner is Greg. All right. And Greg left this on Stitcher and he said, this podcast is a game changer. I found this podcast three months ago when Brad was on the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Very nice episode, by the way, Brad. And I gave the Chooseify podcast a listen because my family and I also live in Richmond and I could not be more glad that I did. This podcast and the feedback from the community have had a profound impact on me over the past three months. While it's not my biggest life hack to date, 
I have even joined the local library. My wife and I have always been good about saving, but our spending has not always been as intentional as it is now. As an engineer, I love this efficiency, and this is the ultimate task to optimize. I can say without a doubt that this podcast has sparked a new fire within me, and I cannot wait to share what we will learn in the years to come with our family, friends, and our daughter. She turns one next week, but with all the actionable items from the episode, I'm always thinking of how I'll present these topics to her. I'm very much looking forward to have her being the second generation Phi and enjoying this journey together. Thank you guys for all that you do. And we are truly looking forward to watching the Playing With Fire documentary at the Bird Theater later this month. The path to financial freedom couldn't be more clear. And we are very excited to be part of this movement. Cheers from Greg. I am walking away from this episode inspired. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and this movement. Uh, if you wait till the very end of the episode, I'm going to be announcing the screenings for the documentary Playing With Fire, whose ticket thresholds are coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're trying to do whatever we can to promote those local screenings. The easiest way, you know, if you don't want to wait for the end, the easiest way to find out about a screening in your area is just go to chooseify.com slash tug, T-U-G-G. But if you want to hear kind of what's coming up, then just hang out at the end of the episode. I will be giving you a highlight reel of those theaters with ticket thresholds who still need some help hitting the minimums. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time. All right, so as promised, I'm just going to take a couple minutes and I'm going to give a shout out to the local screenings happening across the country. And in particular, I am going to be mentioning those screenings where they have not yet hit the minimum ticket threshold and that deadline to hit that is coming up within the next several weeks. We just, at Choose of I, we want to do whatever we can to promote those. If you're listening to this saying, uh, how can I find out if there's a screening in my area because you know you didn't mention it or you want to follow up and actually purchase a ticket for one of the ones that I did mention, you can just go to chooseify.com slash tug. That's T-U-G-G. There is a very comprehensive list of all the screenings that are actually happening. But these cities that I'm about to give a shout out to are ones where you have a ticket threshold that needs to be hit and that deadline is coming up within the next couple of weeks. All right, so here it goes. On July 15th, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Farmington, New Mexico, Boston, Massachusetts. On July 16th, Medford, Oregon. On July 17th, Reno, Nevada, Roswell, Georgia, Pearl, Mississippi. On July 18th, Gaithersburg, Maryland. On July 22nd, Kenosha, Wisconsin. July 23rd, Columbia, Missouri, Anchorage, Alaska. July 24th, Rosemont, Minnesota, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Little Rock, Arkansas, Broomfield, Colorado, Lancaster, California, and College Station, Texas. There are so many screenings that have already hit their thresholds and are happening, and we certainly hope that all of these will happen as well. I mean, it, it seems to be that these things are continuing to pick up steam. Honestly, though, they don't happen without the support of the local group. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing, and we will continue to support you in any way that we can. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.